Reaching the end of August and the MLS playoff race should be ramping up. At the moment though, it seems like we're more and more congested by the day, especially as it relates to Toronto FC and the Eastern Conference. My name is Mitchell Tierney, you are listening to the Footy Talks podcast, and on this week's show, we will talk about that snails race in the Eastern Conference. We'll also chat about a coaching change for the Montreal Impact ahead of a crucial 401 derby, an update on the Canadian Premier League and some CONCACAF headlines as well. To do all that with me, James Grossi of MLSsoccer.com and CanPL.ca is back on the show. James, always a pleasure to have you on. Oh, Mitchell, Mitchell, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, a lot, uh, a lot of exciting topics to, to cover this week, but before we do that, uh, on Saturday at the Rec Room in Toronto, Footy Talks is hosting its first ever EPL Footy Fest, hosted by James Sharman. We'll be showing Liverpool arsenal on the big screen with full audio there'll be prizes limited edition posters and a new vip ticket option as well you can head over to homestandsports.com slash events to rsvp for free uh the doors for that event open at 11 a.m so hope to see some of you there but uh let's move on to talking about toronto fc and uh I guess we'll we'll start um, with kind of the the biggest question I think, or, or one of the biggest questions that's uh, going on in in Toronto FC world right now, and that is of course uh, the winger situation. I think there's there's a lot of fans right now wondering after um, you know so much has been made this entire season of Greg Vanny wanting to play this style with wingers, uh, wanting to have wide attackers, and we've seen a little bit of it uh, utilized throughout this year. But finally, you know, he gets uh, some some of these options from management. They they get brought in, and we haven't seen them in any significant role during games yet, um, or or at least in the way that I think fans would have expected. So, um, you've you've been up at training this week, and uh, what what did you make of of kind of Vanny's response to this, and you know the plan going forward with Erickson Gallardo and, and Nicholas Benaze, um, you know, on top of just the the, the tactical guest shape of the team going forward yeah it was uh it was very much the uh the first question that that was sort of thrown at vanny this week as soon as uh as soon as they returned to town and, and it was one that he addressed post-match as well uh talking about why it was that that erickson gallardo and nicholas benize didn't end up getting on the pitch in columbus and and vanny was pretty adamant that, that that was his intention his intention was to get those guys onto the pitch um, you can you can quibble with whether you think they should be in the starting lineup. Uh, you know, Vanny made the call that that he wanted to see what Patrick Mullins and Josie Altador up top would sort of look like, and, and he was trying to ride the hot hand with Nick DeLeon, who looked fantastic against Ottawa midweek in the Cup, and and so he decided that uh, that he'd keep them on the bench and keep that powder dry and bring them on as as the game wore on and. You know, one of the things that's been uh, that's been frustrating, not just for fans, uh, but for Vanny himself over the past few weeks, is that it seems like too often he's forced to burn a sub or two just due to to precautions, to actual injuries, or or to guys just being absolutely exhausted. And, and that was the same this weekend. We had uh, Justin Morrow sort of forced off at halftime, uh, mm-hmm. requiring Vanny to burn one sub there, and then. You know, De Leon, who, as I said, was, was fantastic midweek, just sort of ran out of gas around the hour mark. And so, you know, you can, you can in one way, you can blame those two forced substitutions uh, for why these, these two new players didn't quite get on the pitch when, uh, 
when you're when you're trying to manage a game and you're trying to um, counterbalance what it is that's working for Columbus, and then you sort of have two of your three moves taken away from you, I think it would be really hard to say that that when we get to the game being 1-1 and, and Columbus is all over Toronto and Toronto's just getting overrun and and the back line is stretched and, and Columbus is having their, their, uh, their run of the middle of the park, I think it's hard to argue that that using that third sub to bring to bring Drew Moore on and to go to the back three and sort of solidify up the middle of the pitch. Of course, it didn't quite work out the way that everyone would have hoped, given that uh, that David Akam was able to give Columbus that go-ahead goal. But I don't I don't think anybody sort of looking at it in a in a cool detached manner could say that what that game really needed at that moment was a tricky winger who was going to stretch the ball wide. Toronto were having a really hard time managing possession and stringing passes together, and so. If you bring on a, a new guy that doesn't quite know what's going on with his teammates, is that really going to be what, what earns you a point on the day? And so that's where I'd, where I'd sort of start off with the conversation in terms of how things actually played out on Saturday. And and in, in Vanny's explanation of, of his thought pattern, it was it was sort of a, a two-sided sort of um, a two-sided explanation, the first part of which I touched on there, where it was it was sort of the situation of the game didn't really call for, for a wide attacker. But I think the more important point that he sort of stressed was that, you know, maybe a couple of years ago in MLS, it was it was a, a game where you could take your best 11 players and, and a system wasn't necessarily uh, what won or lost you the game. It was more based on, on talent, and it was all just about throwing guys out there and letting them sort of do what they do. But uh, we've seen a real evolution in this league over the past couple of years in terms of teams having you know, a defined style and, and a defined way that they go about things. And for you to break them down, you really have to be on the same page with your teammates. And and one of the one of the evolutions of this side that we've seen this year is that, that they really wanted to get away from from the way that they were under Sebastian Jovinko, perhaps, where where you sort of relied on, or, or if not relied, you were at least aware that that Jovinko could pull a moment of magic out of the game, and mm-hmm. and that might be the difference between a draw and a win on a day like like that Saturday night in Columbus was. And so, in trying to be a lot more intentional about how you go about things, the idea of just just throwing a guy on and seeing sort of what he can add becomes a little bit it. It's it's taking a risk in its own way because it, it, if he's not connected to the rest of the team and that becomes a vulnerability at the back, then then you know the the game can go in the other direction from what you sort of want. And you know if I look back at at the the brief glimpses we've gotten of both Benazay and Gallardo in their in their couple of outings, uh, you know Benazay when he came on against the Red Bulls away there, and even when he played against Ottawa, he, he looked a little bit like a a good footballer that didn't quite know what his teammates were up to. He didn't know where mm-hmm. he fit into things. He didn't know where he was supposed to be, where he was supposed to pick up the ball. And then once he got the ball, he didn't know quite what his teammates were going to do. And and Gallardo was the same in the second leg against Ottawa, where we saw what he could do in terms of stretching the field, in terms of using his pace, in terms of delivering balls into the box. But that final little bit of a connection that you need to really create a goal was was very much not there. And, those are the sort of things that, that come with time. And, and the question is sort of, do you throw those guys on in the hope that their quality is good enough or, or is putting them on just, uh, just not going to have the desired result and end up leaving you more vulnerable in the end? So I think, 
I think between the situation of the game and, and Vanny not quite seeing what he needs to see for the team to be intentional and and throw on top of that the fact that you know it wasn't always gonna, it wasn't going to be the prettiest game down there in Columbus. It was going to be one of those. You know, I go back to the playoff series that those two teams played in 2017, where, where Toronto gutted out a nil-nil away down there without Altidore and without Jovinko. And sometimes games against Columbus are just sort of ugly physical battles, and, and maybe that wasn't a day for wingers. Yeah, it seems like, uh, I guess, a good part of this frustration is kind of the, the holding pattern Toronto FC seems like they've been in lately. And it seems like that whole section of the Eastern Conference is sort of in uh, a bit of a holding pattern and in some ways that's that's good for Toronto FC because nobody's been able to uh, you know really get that far ahead of them in terms of the the playoff bubble race but at the same time uh, you know it just feels like if Toronto FC or any of these clubs are able to string a couple of results together even all of a sudden they can move very quickly I mean it seems like every Toronto FC game it's like well if they win today they could be as high as sixth or something like that so um, the, the fact that they haven't been able to do that yet uh, I mean especially with you know as we mentioned, Benazay, Gallardo, uh, Gonzalez as well, they, they've certainly made the investment over the summer uh, in terms of looking to be a team that, that kind of makes that second half push, and or I guess we're into the, we're into the quarters now, uh, fourth mm-hmm. quarter push uh, of the MLS season, and, uh, and makes that late kind of rise up the standing, so um, what, what have you made of that, kind of the, the inability of this team, uh, and it seems like seems like we've been waiting for this team almost to go on a run for for two years now and it, it still hasn't happened yeah that's very much that's very much the the feeling that I've been getting with this team is that you know mid-season mid-season additions mid-season reinforcements are always so tricky to work into the team because the one the one thing that's really stood out to me watching this watching Toronto FC over that, or let's say the last two months or so is that when they go out there on the pitch they look very much like a team that that is still understanding how each other want to play and and understanding building those relationships on the pitch that we were just talking about and and becoming that sharp team that's been tested through 20 games through through 25 games and you look at a side like Columbus you look at a side like Cincinnati you look at a side like Orlando you look at a side like the Red Bulls a couple of weeks ago and and they seem to have much more of a of a comfort in their own skin. They, they seem to know by this point in the season that, that this is who's going to play. This is how we are going to play. And this is the amount of effort that it's going to take for us to get a result on the day. And I think just by, just by the nature of the way that this season has gone for Toronto, I don't think that they have that same sort of battle hardened, surety that that you want to have as a team to this point like mm-hmm. you could make the argument that that we could be we could fast forward two months and Toronto could have a best 11 that looks absolutely nothing like what we've seen from him at any point this season you know <laughs> and and it's not uh it's not entirely unheard of you know if we cast our minds back to 2016 Greg went to that to the 352 relatively late in the year and that was when we really started to see the team that that had the potential to be dominant and that went on that run. And, you know, Benazay being here for a couple of weeks, Gallardo being here for about a month, Omar Gonzalez being here for about a month, that's that's three potentially huge pieces. Throw in Schaffelberg, throw in, you know, Josie's only played 12 matches, I think, this year. So this is very much a team that, that I don't think they quite know what their identity is. And, and in the summer grind, something that you talk about a lot in MLS, it's, 
that's very much what gets you through that part of the season. It, it is relying on on the on the the platform and the foundation that you spent the first couple months of the season establishing, and that's just been some that's been a luxury that Toronto hasn't had this year. They've been playing catch up since since before the season started practically, and as you say, fortunately for them, you know the Eastern Conference is a bit of a mess. I was just looking at the table ahead of ahead of Wednesday night's <laughs> games here, and it's. You know, with eight matches left, there's six points between fourth place and tenth, and that's just uh, it's going to be a pretty a pretty fascinating run in, I think. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, I think that you know, in any league, when you get uh, such a congested, and we certainly saw it in the in the NHL this year, uh, down the stretch where you know where, where parity gets to this point, and um, uh, you know, there's a number of teams kind of in and around that race. It always makes it that much more interesting but at the same time you know it makes it that much more complicated and the margins become much thinner as they are for Toronto FC right now um, I, I did want to talk before we move on to uh, the very big matchup this weekend about uh, I, I guess one of those players who has been consistently on the field for Toronto FC this year and that's Alejandro Pozuelo and, and kind of surprisingly consistently on the field I would say and um, it's it seems like in, in recent games I know when he first came in he was almost a, a bit of an all-action midfielder I mean we saw him um, go back a little bit more you know pick up the ball in deeper areas uh, in, in recent weeks it might, it might just be an eye test thing it might just be you know he's in a bit of a slump right now I think one assist in the past five games he's still you know is is up there or leading Toronto FC in all offensive categories but um, it it does seem like he he's getting a little tired and we've seen maybe a little bit more emotion with him in in, in regards to his teammates as well I I guess I'm a little surprised that we've seen so much of him this year. I mean, certainly there was a lot made of him coming off of the Belgian League um, and in how many minutes he played there. We know there's players, certainly Michael Bradley among them, who just love to keep playing, and and that's kind of how they stay injury-free and how they stay uh, in the zone is, is continuously playing. But, um, you know, it does seem almost like Pozuelo is getting a little burnt out, and now this is the stretch where you really need him to be at his best, and he just maybe hasn't looked that that extra degree of sharp right now. Yeah, I think as you said, as you said, when he was arriving from Belgium on the tail end of, of what was already a pretty long season, this was very much a talking point, sort of wondering how much you had to you had to manage his minutes over the course of the year just to make sure he could last all the way and. and you know, we still have another two or three months of this season, so there's still quite a ways to go. Um, I chalk it up. I haven't quite seen signs of, of fatigue um, sort of popping up, per se. I, I Maybe he's missing a little bit of that explosiveness that, that we saw in the first couple of outings, especially in his first one, but that's sort of... Uh, you know, it's kind of natural to be a little bit more amped up for your, for your home debut than perhaps... Uh, a mid-August trip to Columbus. Nothing against uh, <laughs> nothing against the crew. I had a wonderful time the last time I was down there. Um, for me, I, I chalk it up more to, to to two different things that I'm sort of keeping an eye on at the moment. And and the first one I think is is that Vanny wants to keep Pozuelo closer to the box. He wants to keep him more within a, a defined. And and part of this comes back to the team sort of not quite knowing each other as well as they would like. Is that if Pozuelo is allowed to roam all over the field and, and drop wherever he is, then he's not going to be where you need him to be to really make things happen. And and one of the things that's that's really struck me about the Toronto attack this year is that 
they can be devastating, but they get in good positions. And, and the second that they encounter some some resistance from the opposition, there's that tendency to cycle back and, and you give up the advantage that you had acquired, the uh, the territorial advantage, the time advantage, the space advantage, all that sort of stuff. You you give that up in order to maintain possession. And and Pozuelo, part of part of what I'm seeing is that when he when he goes rogue and sort of roams all over the place, then then he's not in those positions that you want him to be to really hurt people. And so mm. there's a part of me that wonders if this is an explicit instruction from Vanny to sort of stay up in those regions and not drop back to get on the ball quite as much and to wait for the ball to come to you and to make things happen when 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 it does. I think we've seen Pozuelo playing as that sort of second forward as opposed to a midfielder a little bit more in recent weeks. And so there's an element of that, that, that I think is, is part of what we're seeing. And then the second part of it is, is very much that I think him along with everyone else is still figuring out exactly how this team is going to work, exactly how that interplay between we've seen the interplay between Altidore and Pozuelo and then they've earned themselves a, a nice nickname with, with the way the two of them can play off each other. But exactly how Jonathan Osorio fits into that, exactly how Nick DeLeon fits into that, exactly how Jacob Schaffelberg and then the two new wiggers, how everyone is going to, who's who plays where and how they interact is all still very much stuff that, that this team is figuring out. And I, I always feel like an, an attacking midfielder is, is, they can only be at their best when the pieces around them are all ticking over and acting the right way. And I think a little bit of what we're seeing with Pozuelo in terms of both his lack of production and the little bit of frustration that's creeping in is a function of this team sort of still figuring out exactly how they're going to go about things. And and you combine that with that little bit of hesitancy that we see sometimes when they get into good positions and that, that lack of confidence of, of just just play the ball and know that the guy is going to be making that run is a lot of what I've seen over the past month or so with this team. Well, I think I've teased it enough at this point. Let's, uh, let's get into Saturday's match because it quite frankly will probably end up being one of the bigger ones of the season. Uh, it also kind of sets off the, the first of a very interesting series between Toronto FC and the Montreal impact. If you want to include the, the Voyagers cup home and away as well. And it, it really does seem like every time, um, you know, you look for new news on this, uh, on this game and on these two clubs, there's, there's something new happening. And, and today a pretty massive development evidently with the Montreal impact deciding to relieve Remy guard of his duties. Uh, they're bringing in their sixth coach in eight seasons with Wilmer Cabrera coming in, uh, him himself recently fired by the Houston Dynamo on August 13th. So, um, you know, a, a kind of a within the league replacement for Remy Gard. But uh, a lot is up in the air for these two sides right now. I mean, we mentioned all of the Toronto FC TAM signings coming in and how uh, they've struggled in recent weeks. It's been a pretty big struggle for the impact as well. One, six and one in their last eight um, you know, the, one of the only good things about this, this past Saturday for Toronto FC was the constant updates on TSN that Montreal were slowly blowing a 3-0 lead and uh, what that meant for the playoff race in, in general. Um, you know, they'll have Nacho Piatti out, but they have a number of, of new players themselves coming in and, and trying to integrate. So um, with obviously a playoff spot on the line and the Voyagers Cup on the line coming up, uh, this, this sets up for a pretty tasty a uh, few additions of the 401 Derby down the stretch, doesn't it, James? Yeah, I mean, if you go back, what, like two weeks ago when we were looking forward to this game, you know, different coaches on the sidelines, different players available to everyone else. <laughs> it's, 
I don't think anybody really saw. I guess I guess in the back of our minds we knew that that Remy Gard's time in Montreal was was a struggle, and and uh, it always struck me how inconsistent this team could be. You know, you go mm-hmm. from from dismantling Philadelphia five nothing one week, and they're on the top of the East, and then you lose six one or whatever it was to Colorado, who are the bottom of the West a week later, and <laughs> that sort of a. Uh, a sort of a manic, a manic situation is never good for a for a professional team. It's not really quite the environment, but but to decide with seven or eight games left in your season that that you know you're not going to give the coach a chance to to test out the new players that you brought in and, and to sort of look to to close out that playoff spot and and have a shot at a trophy with uh, with the Voyagers Cup final coming up against Toronto FC is just. Uh, I was on the subway back down from. Uh, from Downsview Park, where the TFC training ground is today, and, and I could scarcely believe it uh, when I saw it come through. But there was a part of me that thought it was a bit of a joke because, you know, when Wilmer Cabrera left Houston, uh, what eight days ago, ten days ago, <laughs> something like that, I thought I thought he was a little hard done by as well to sort of uh, not be given the chance to see what he could do with a team that started out really strong and just sort of mm. faded in the summer heat that is the madness of Montreal. But I don't know, as you said. Uh, I, I was just sort of thinking that, that uh, you know, we hadn't had a really good Toronto-Montreal bit of spice over these past couple of years. You know, we, we go back to that epic series in 2016, and I don't think anybody will ever forget the way that that one played out. And yeah. The Voyagers Cup final in 2017 with Sebastian Jovinko tucking in that late goal and, uh, and the histrionics and fireworks that followed that. and. Uh, it's it's been about a good year and a half since we had something really tasty to sink our teeth into, and and I think between between these two teams sort of reinforcing the way that they have, and between the desperation and the push for the playoff spots, and then you know the desire to to be the Canadian champions and to represent the country in the, in the Champions League, I think we're in for a, a pretty good six weeks or whatever it is coming up. Yeah, we absolutely are. Um, you, you mentioned that Canadian Championship and, and the Canadian Championship final. Um, I, I did want to kind of transition into talking about the Canadian Premier League as well and uh, in, in some ways how that Canadian Championship has, has affected um, the, the Canadian Premier League a little bit in the second half in terms of we've seen Cavalry for maybe the first time look a, a, at least a, a little bit human um, <laughs> as a club. I mean, they still haven't lost in, in the fall season, um, but they... They are the only club in the league to not pick up a win in the last uh, three games. They also have the second least goals in the league um, in this season after leading the league during the spring season. Um, it, what's what's kind of interesting, of course, is they, they've already booked their spot in uh, in the final as well. So you, so you'd think they're you know the, the, this this is less important to them, but at the same time they want to make sure they keep up their standards and uh, have plenty of momentum going into the final. But now you look at Forge as well. Uh, they've got the CONCACAF League coming up. They're the, they're the club that uh, passed Calvary and are now at the top of, of the standings. And, and right now, kind of the odds-on favorite to to maybe face them in that final as well. So I guess two sides that have these these um, competitions that have kind of, in some ways, added some uh, intrigue to their season, I guess. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I sort of did... I had... When this when this season kicked off, I sort of had no idea what to expect from the Canadian Premier League. You know, we were all we were all excited about it. We were all looking forward to it. And 
And these two teams have really been uh, – they've very much been the class of the league. And I think if you want to examine why that is, um, I think you, you don't have to look any further than the fact that, that both have a depth uh, that, that few other teams in the league can really sort of rival. And, and what I mean by that is, is Tommy Wielden in Calgary there has been able to, uh, you know, plug and play players. He's been able to rest guys. And when you slot Jose Escalante in on, on one flank, or when you, you bring a Malik Hamilton in or, or whether you start up top with, with uh, Dominique Malonga or, or, Jordan Brown or whoever they put on the pitch, whoever he puts on that pitch is going to do the job for him. And, and the flexibility that they've shown tactically, you know, we forget that for the first half of the year, they were without, with, were without Mason Trafford, who was expected to be their defensive leader. And right. for a good portion of the middle of the year, they were without Nick Ledgerwood, who was, who was going to be a, a key piece in central midfield. And, and that ability to, to sort of keep the, key, the team ticking over regardless of who was on the pitch is, is a trait that we've seen from, from Forge as well, where, where they have a good, a good spread of talent. And, you know, if one center back gets injured, they have somebody else that can step in. If a goalkeeper doesn't do his job, if Tristan, you know, if Coolen Roberts doesn't have the greatest start, then Tristan Henry's right there to step in and take his role. And that's really been what, what thrust these two uh, to the top of, of, uh, of the consideration when it comes to the Canadian Premier League, I, I think as you mentioned, the the fixture congestion that both have uh, have experienced as a result of of these extra competitions, whether it's the Canadian Championship or the Concacaf League, have very much uh, left things pretty wide open. You know, York Nine FC, a team that I follow pretty closely, are are sort of finding their way. The last two results haven't been great for Jimmy Brennan's side, and, and they passed up a chance to, to really put themselves at, uh, a little ahead at the top of the standings. And mm-hmm. FC Edmonton, another team that, that you know, started really slow, but but gradually around the, around the shift from spring to fall, really sort of found themselves, found their identity and made a couple of tweaks, and, and now they're right there with it. And, you know, I think in recent weeks, we've sort of learned that that there's there's not a lot between these teams, and sometimes sometimes it's just a matter of of not. I, I think if I look back at, at the scope of the whole season, the, the real the real distinction that can be made between between the teams is just how many mistakes you make and how you dealt with those mistakes. Like mm-hmm. I think part of the reason why Calvary have been as good as they are is because they are the team that makes the fewest mistakes. And they are the team that can most reliably punish another team for a mistake that they make. And I think Forge falls into that. And for the other teams, it's just been a matter of they've been making too many mistakes and haven't been making the other team pay for theirs. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Valor was was considered hopeless. And now they've got two wins in their last three. They've drawn a bunch of matches. Pacific as well have been, have really turned it around. And, you know, one of the, one of the projects I'm working on at the moment is sort of, uh, at the beginning of the year, I, I went and spoke to a lot of the coaches, to, to all the coaches actually, and, and a lot of the players that I expected to be the team leaders to sort of get a sense of of how it was that they were putting this team together and how it was that they wanted to go about their business. And and I'm in the process of sort of going back and doing the mid-season check-in and, and seeing how this first three, four months has, has gone and, and how that experience has been and what's popped up that was unexpected and, and what surprised you and what worked well and I think the real the real sort of 
standing point the real the thing i'm hearing back from a lot of people is that they're just they're just quietly impressed and surprised by by the quality of the whole thing and uh it's been uh it's been pretty fun but i don't know uh so we've seen cavalry i think i was i was crunching some numbers uh very simple counting that's how i like to keep it after <laughs> at the end of a long day and and i think cavalry plays york tonight and this will be their 12th match since canada day and that's oh. that's yeah that's a lot that's a lot of games and then they have two more before we get into september and uh you know, any team that's playing 14 games over a two-month spell, that's that's a big ask, you know. When we look at Forge, Forge have had the benefit of, of a few more of their league matches being rescheduled, but with the international stuff. Um, and their series against Olympia will be uh, will be very interesting, as we talk about shortly. But uh, they are going to be paying for this in the back half of the season. They're going to have some fixture congestion that is going to be really tough. They're going to have to cram a lot of games into the last couple of months and, and how they deal with that, how that depth is tested. Can everybody stay fit? You know, they've lost a pair of strikers in recent weeks. And so uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be crowning just anybody yet. I think it's going to be a pretty dramatic close to that season. Yeah, it's certainly well. I, I, and you mentioned the, the pretty impressive quality we've seen within the league in in terms of the players and and the match quality as well well it's it certainly made its way outside of the league as well we certainly can can look at cavalry and what they were able to do in, in this voyagers cup run obviously defeating the the vancouver whitecaps and then um, giving the montreal impact a, a really solid series as well uh, now we've seen forge obviously get through the the first round of the CONCACAF League, and, and now they're on to the round of 16 um, against Olympia. That that going tomorrow, uh, this is going to be definitely an interesting series for them. I mean, a, a pretty, you know, a reasonably storied club within the within the uh, CONCACAF fixtures. Um, and, uh, you know, a, a big opportunity for them to, to prove themselves and uh, one that it's it seems like now they, they've been getting at, at least some fortuitous bounces going into as well. Yeah, I mean, for a Canadian side to have some luck when it comes to, <laughs> to CONCACAF machinations is just, uh, it's just madness. First and you and get... part of that luck being they have to play in San Pedro Sula. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's not count any chickens before they hatch when it comes to playing down in Honduras <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, for for Bobby Smirnionis' side, to, I, I spoke with him and, and Anthony Novak earlier this week, and you know, I, I worked a good did uh, I worked a, a good portion of it into the preview piece that I did ahead of this first leg, but a secondary piece that didn't quite make it, and, and it'll probably get saved for a, a second piece ahead of the second leg was was sort of what that experience was like going down there and, and what that did for the side in terms of confidence. If uh, if you look back at that, that series that they had against Antigua, the, the Guatemalan mm-hmm. side, you know, you could maybe make the argument that they got a little bit lucky in that the away leg down there was also moved to a neutral venue, so maybe it wasn't quite as hostile as it, as it could have been. And you look at that first leg, and, and I think they fell behind initially only to pull a goal back, and then and then David Schwanier ends up scoring that late goal to give them something to go down there and play with. And the thing that really struck me, and, and it, it, it paralleled something that we saw from Calvary, too, in terms of how they handled Montreal, how they handled Vancouver, was, you know, sometimes... Sometimes the hardest thing to get right in this game is sort of the mentality and, and having that right head approach and, 
and being able to roll with the punches and not sort of not sort of crumble and and not not give up the ghost against a team that that you feel like maybe you don't necessarily deserve to be there maybe you haven't proved it to anybody maybe you're not sure yourself and the way that both cavalry and forge dealt with the adversity of of falling behind in montreal when you're on this big stage and then going down to Central America, which has been, uh, you know, the bane of a lot of Canadian teams over the years and, and gutting out a result was just, was just very impressive uh, for me. It, it spoke to me a lot of, it spoke to me a lot about the way that these teams have, have not just hit the ground running, but have really sort of matured and, and found a belief in themselves that can only bode well going forward. Now, of course, Cavalry uh, weren't able to get through Montreal. I thought, I thought if they hadn't given up, that that scrappy early goal in in that second leg, they would have stood a better chance of mm-hmm. of doing something. I think that was just one of those ones where, you know, it's a bridge too far sort of thing. Sergio Camargo pulling that away goal back really really could have given them a chance to to make something of that series. But then, just the way that they did to Vancouver before giving up that early sort of goal was really a, a dagger and, and shook the confidence. And that was something that they couldn't quite get get away from. But you know, I'll be in Hamilton tomorrow, uh, taking in the first leg against Olympia, and, and apparently Olympia is traveling with a pretty short squad, and and due to the events down in Honduras recently, uh, they won't be playing at their home stadium for the second leg. So it's uh, it's all pretty fascinating stuff. And uh, but if there's one thing that that I know from watching this game for a long, long time, it's that uh, you never take anything in CONCACAF too lightly. No, no, certainly not. We've uh, we've learned that uh, you know time and time again, especially uh, when it comes to the Canadian men's national team, who we'll talk about next, and uh, that actually kind of transitions very well into the the upcoming series against Cuba because you know based on what we've seen in the Gold Cup, based on a, a number of different factors, you would think that this is a you know this should be a pretty much a walk in the park for Canada. I mean, the the one thing going into the series with Cuba that seemed like it was going to be the most difficult factor for Canada was the fact that they were going to have to play at Havana. Well, uh, that's no longer the case. They're now playing the Cayman Islands in terms of the away leg, so much more uh, fortuitous, you would think, for for Canada. Certainly in terms of you know not having to go into to difficult away atmosphere and and probably you would think a, a better venue. It's it's always hard to tell in Concacaf, but certainly the neutral venue helps out Canada as well. Um, you know, it, but at the same time, this is such a critical series because, uh, of course, it was always going to be with the Nations League and and trying to stay in that A division. But now with the the FIFA points and, and the World Cup qualification, uh, the way that it is, every goal, every win for Canada matters so much more now over the next year or so. So uh, this is going to be a very fascinating camp for Canada and John Herdman uh, coming off of, of course, that. Uh, a bit of a disappointing Gold Cup as well. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those things that I, I'm I'm not quite sure what to make of the situation. You know, it's been it's been pretty quiet on the Canadian national team front the past couple of months ever since that Gold Cup. We haven't really had a full debrief with John Herdman. We haven't really looked too far ahead, and and as you say, with with all the different ramifications coming in the, the FIFA points, how that will factor into qualifying. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be massive. I mean, there's no other way to really sort of put it. And I think I, I sort of got the sense from Herdman that that 
as much as he wanted to do well at the Gold Cup and as much as he wanted uh, to better the, the, the previous Gold Cup performance that Canada had had where Alfonso Davies sort of burst onto the scene and, and we sort of got that first glimpse that, that this Canadian team, this upcoming generation was going to be something a little bit different from the from the the Canada that, that was far too easy to beat in the past for some of these teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he, I think, I haven't heard him say this explicitly, but I think he would, I think he would be okay with me, with me implying that this was all sort of a warm up to this point. You know, the, the, the Nations League qualifying Canada really shouldn't have had a lot of trouble with the opposition they were playing there. That was all about gearing up for the Gold Cup. Mm-hmm. And the Gold Cup, in its way, was all about gearing up for for this next step, which is really going to be the crucial one if, if this is a team that really wants to be in the running to, to be at the 2022 World Cup. And, and the fact that you start off with Cuba, with the two games against Cuba, not just the one game, is... Uh, is it, it's leaving me very unsure exactly how he's going to go about this. You know, we saw we saw in the Gold Cup that that Herdman wasn't a, wasn't afraid to to sort of play some mind games a little bit and, and rest a team against Mexico in the group stage just to to sort of not allow teams to scout what it would look like and and to have that that in his back pocket if if uh, when the second leg come around. Now, granted, it didn't quite work, but. You know, with with a pair of matches against the U.S. coming up, does he really want to show them the full squad, or is it too valuable of an opportunity to get that group together and to get everyone on the same page and get everything sort of ticking over? It's it's going to be really fascinating to see which way he goes with that, what lessons he's learned, how the team sort of looks to build off what what I think everyone would agree was a disappointing ending to their Gold Cup and. You know, as as soon as this month's over, we sort of uh, turn our attention fully to that. I know, uh, I know, uh, BMO Field's going to be rocking. I presume we're going to be uh, starting those conversations and seeing what's up. So uh, it should be a uh, you know between TFC and Montreal, and maybe a little bit less so Vancouver and the Canadian men's national team over the coming months. I think it's going to be a pretty fascinating little while. Uh, never mind the Canadian Premier League and everything that's going on there. So. Uh, it's uh, it's not slowing down anytime soon, man. I can tell you that much. Yeah, it's a it's a good point. It's it's definitely really ramping up right now. And um, you, you mentioned that full squad for Canada. I wonder if it will look any different or how different it'll look based on you know some of the performances we've seen in in recent months from players within the Canadian men's national team player pool. Um, and you know both positive and negatively. Um, do. You, do you think there'll be many changes from the Gold Cup squad, and who are some of those guys that uh, you'd look at to potentially come in? This is where I go back into that that I have no idea quite how he's going to approach this <laughs> Cuba series in particular. Yeah. Like, like if you if you're the John Herdman that that brought Noble Akello to the Gold Cup, sort of knowing that you weren't going to be relying on him to do too much, do you want him coming down to Cuba with you? Is is that worthwhile, or is this the time when <clears throat> when maybe it's it's better to have, you know, somebody who's maybe a little closer to being a a, a contributor. Is Liam Fraser involved in here? Is is Jay Chapman just to name some of the TFC guys that that missed out on the last one for the very reason that that they weren't necessarily going to be there? 
when I when I look at the squad coming out of the Gold Cup, I think the big question has to be at the back. It has to be, you know, your two fullbacks. It has to be your center backs, and it, and it has to be your goalkeeper to a to a lesser degree. You know, Borian is uh, is fantastic, and he's done a lot of great things for Canada. But but I think you always have to be looking further down the line at who's coming up and who's going to be next. And and uh, you know, a goalkeeper needs a challenge. He's been a little too comfortable in that starting position for the last uh, four or five years or so. So, I think if we're looking at an immediate possibility, I, I kind of look at Max Crepeau out in Vancouver and and look at the way that he's been able to play with with Daniel Henry and, and Derek Cornelius, two guys that that were leaned upon at the Gold Cup, but perhaps not as much as we may have thought they would have been, uh, and perhaps didn't perform as well as they as we would have liked them to be, but. If I was looking for one immediate change, I, I would say that's a possibility. Maybe Borian's going to be in the middle of his European season. Maybe he doesn't need to, to fly over here for a pair of matches like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of look at the fullbacks as well. You know, Marcus Cadinho didn't exactly cover himself in glory with uh, <laughs> with how that tournament played out for him. Yeah. Uh, you never want to write off a kid just because he had a, a bad couple of weeks, but but you always have to keep the possibility open that that the shirts aren't locked down, and you got to see what else is out there. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think uh, if we want to put some options in in that fullback area, you know, uh, guys like Sam Atakubi, who we've certainly seen with with the national team before and is playing in Norway right now, is is an option. Juan Cordova, who's been playing in Chile, and I know. Uh, certainly is is very interested in getting into the Canadian men's national team conversation as one as well. And then closer to home, of course, Richie Larey has had some really good performances for Toronto FC this season at right back. So I uh, wonder if he's certainly a guy that John Herdman's keying in on as well. I know Tesho Akindele is a player that, um, you know, he, he definitely plays in, in that attacking role and, and in a spot that Canada is incredibly deep at right now. But uh, with with the season he's had with Orlando and, you know, leading them in scoring or, or at least um, being in a tie for the lead with Nani, I think uh, I think he's certainly back in that conversation. If you want a guy in form coming in, I think Tesho's uh, certainly a guy that you want in that conversation. Um you know, it seems like it's a question going into every Canadian men's national team camp at this point. Uh, but do you think there's a chance we see uh, our first Canadian Premier League player in in this camp? I think, uh, for me at least, I don't want to steal your answer or anything, but I know David Edgar has been very much on the periphery of the Canadian men's national team for uh, a while. A periphery, I guess, in the positive sense. Like he's been he's been in and around the team for um, you know the better part of of John Herdman's reign. So I, I wonder if he's potentially the one player you'd look at coming in. Yeah, I I think I think where I always go when it comes to national teams is that you know we we look at the eleven and we look at the eighteen and with all the best teams, you always sort of think that they're relatively settled and, and that on any given day, you always know, you know who that 11 is going to be, who that 18 is going to be. But I, I think for a program like Canada, you can't just rely on, on having that. You're going to need 20, 30, 40 guys to be involved and, and you mm-hmm. want everybody to be involved. And so that's where I go with, with these first two games being up against Cuba. Is that a chance to maybe, maybe leave somebody in Europe over with their club, keep the miles off the legs and let them sort of focus on, on their professional aspect and, and give somebody else a chance, whether it's Tesho, whether it's, um, you know, I think Ashton Morgan, I was a little surprised he didn't get a little bit more of a run out at the gold cup just because he's been there. He's done that. He's solid. 
when mm-hmm. you have all the attacking pieces that Canada has, you know, maybe you don't need to have an attacking left back <laughs> the way that that team is sort of played out, and you can just shore things up there. I think Tesho is a good shout. He's a guy that that is industrious and and has shown that that he can find the back of the net. And and Canada is not a team that can sort of uh, that can ever not be appreciative of, of having these guys at, at their at their disposal. And in terms of the Canadian Premier League players, I'm I think David Edgar is a pretty good shout. I know a lot of people have sort of mentioned Mason Trafford as being another guy that's been in and around the Canadian national team squad. You know, I I I really like Nick Ledgerwood and I like what he's done with Calvary, but I don't know if there's necessarily a spot for him in the middle of that park at the moment. Aside from that, I, I still keep going back to the back line, and I think there have been a number of, of young center backs that have sort of made a name for themselves through these opening few months of of, of the the CPL. I, I look at a guy like Dom Zatora in Calgary, who's who's been fantastic. I look at a guy like uh, Luca Gasparato here at York Nine, a little closer to home, who I think's been uh, been very good as well, and and even Dom Samuel with Forge, who who perhaps doesn't quite have the name recognition of those two but has been part of a really really solid defensive unit these past few weeks or a few months I should say and I think that's sort of a question of of whether Herdman how how far out on a limb Herdman wants to go how he wants to use these spaces and and whether it's worthwhile bringing a guy like that into camp just to sort of see how he fits in with the group and see how he steps Mm -hmm. up uh to go back to my earlier point about the quality of the Canadian Premier League sort of surprising is that um, I always find with players that when you look at a player playing with with a player will look as good as who they are playing with, if you know what I mean. There's there's an element of sort of um, you you play to the level and you can only look as good as that level allows and. And it's always it's always fascinated me how sometimes you put a guy out there with a bunch of better players, and all of a sudden he looks like an infinitely better player because he's playing with better players. And and the question is really, if you insert the guy into that, can he not just rise to that level, but can he maintain that level? And mm-hmm. I think that that's that's going to be one of the real big questions coming out of the Canadian Premier League now is is now that these guys have got twenty thirty games under their belt when they're given this opportunity to step up, what is that going to look like? And whether we see one or not in Herdman's squad, I wouldn't be surprised if he's, if he's squinting really hard to sort of find a way to, to, to get a guy in there just for, uh, just for the good feeling that that will create. Not that that in, in and of itself is ever a, a reason to make a decision, but um, I'm really looking to the Olympic squad for, for later this fall in terms of where right. we're going to start seeing uh the fruits of what the CPL can do for the, the Canadian men's national team program. Yeah. You also look at the, the kind of the opportunity that sometimes getting called up for the national team. Um, and you always want a player to earn the shirt certainly, but the opportunity that that can do for their professional career and then, you know, help the national team down the road. You look at guys like Lucas Cavallini or, or Mark Anthony K who were given that opportunity with the Canadian team. And then, uh, we're able to to turn that into better professional opportunities in terms of their clubs, and now come back into the Canadian squad and are even better for Canada uh, as as a result. So, uh, you know, if we do see some Canadian Premier League players called in or or some other youngsters like that, you you know, that's always a a good possibility as well that that can happen as a result of of a call up like that. But uh, like you said, I think the the Olympic camp is really 
is really the big test early on for the Canadian Premier League in terms of the, the impact it might have on, on the national team, at least in, in the short term. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly going to be more conversations about the Canadian as national team leading up to that Cuba series on the podcast. But for now, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up this edition. James, uh, like I said, always great to have you on. Well, it's my pleasure, Mitchell, anytime. And uh, hopefully I'll see you at the rec room on Saturday. Man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, that's Liverpool, Arsenal at uh, the EPL Footy Fest for the first time we're, we're doing this. So that game will be on the big screen and uh, a lot of other benefits to that as well. So make sure to check that out. Um, yeah, and a, a lot of homework. I know <laughs> James mentioned a lot of articles he's he's been working on over at canpl.ca and MLS Soccer. Um, so make sure to check those out. Uh, certainly, as he said, a lot of interesting storylines going on in Canadian soccer right now. And uh, he gives you some of the best coverage of all of them. So. Make sure to check those out, and otherwise, have a great rest of your week.